Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops, a former D1 Hooper, current high school coach, teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids, and Omari Sankofa II, Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. Omari, my guy, we had a listener reach out and let us know he hit his dumbbell shoulder press PR while listening to last week's episode. Look at us contributing to the healthy lifestyle of our listeners. But it did make me wonder, what do you listen to while working out? Yeah, so since the pandemic ended and I started going back to the YMCA, I've pretty much just been doing straight swimming. Like, it's just been swimming only. Uh, I don't know why. Like, I know, especially in college, too, I used to, like, lift a good amount. But I don't know. I think, like, once I started traveling for the NBA and stuff, I just realized I need to do cardio. Like, you know, eat a lot of unhealthy stuff on the road. And I, I was like I, like, I could be, like, the sort of like Donald Glover, like, you know, like I work out, but like I'm eating. So I've got like sort of the that bad type thing going or like just do some swimming. I swam a lot growing up. So whatever they play at the YMCA is what I listen to. But I probably lean more toward high energy, just like Travis Scott, Migos, whatever, something to get the blood pumping. Uh, like I, I know you go to the gym where maybe you just do basketball stuff, Bryce, but please don't tell me you're listening to country music when you're when you're under the bar. Like I, like I just like I just don't see how whatever whatever country you listen to is going to give you the adrenaline you need. I don't know any of the artists that you just mentioned, Omar. So I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know Travis Scott. Come on, you know Travis Scott. I mean, I've heard the name. I, I don't know. I okay. couldn't name you a song, but no, I, I go the 2000s hip hop for a little nostalgia. Okay. Whenever I'm in the gym getting a workout in, if if I'm just running or doing cardio stuff, I actually listen to podcasts and do that type of stuff. So it's not always music with me, but. I want to know what our guest listens to whenever he works out. So today, we are very, very happy to be joined by Matt Babcock, Senior NBA Draft Analyst for Basketball News and Babcock Hoops. Matt, welcome to the Pistons Pulse. And before we talk basketball, can you let the listeners know, what do you listen to when you work out? Hey, first of all, hey, hey guys, and uh, yeah, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to, to chatting with you guys today. Uh, as far as what I listen to work now, I, you know, I, I mix it up. I mean, it, it's... Uh, Depends on, on my mood. I mean, sometimes I'll listen to the stuff I hear when I'm at games, right? Whether it be Drake or like the latest, you know, hip hop, you know, song, uh, rap. Um, I also like country. Um, yes, you know, I listen to country sometimes, but yeah, keep keep it mixed up. Kind of keep keep things, uh, you know, a wide variety of music. See, Omari, country's not all bad, man. You got to get in. You you know more country than what you leaned on to. Like you were throwing out Brad Paisley and all these guys to me the other day. Yeah, well, I mean, I know some of the country legends. I can't say I'm sitting on distant to them, uh, you know, just on my lonesome. But I went to Michigan State, man. So, you know, Michigan State is a – like, I feel like any Big Ten college, most of the student body is going to be really big in the country. So it was just more so through osmosis. It wasn't me, like, seeking it out. But a lot of my friends listened to it. And I'm a, I'm a music guy in general. Like, I could probably name 
a few country artists off the top of my head, so I'm not completely ignorant to it. I do know a little something. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, we brought Matt on to talk Jay Nivey, Jalen Duran. We're going to talk Isaiah Livers, Killian Hayes, all these guys. Matt knows his NBA draft, and we're going to get into all those guys. Matt, I had a chance to meet you at Summer League. Scott Hill, big listener and supporter of the podcast, introduced us. And we were talking about Jay Nivey just a little bit out there. Let's start with Jay Nivey. You were seemed, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you seemed like a big fan of Ivy. What did you like about his game going into the draft? Yeah, I mean, I think saying that I'm a you know, big fan of Jaden Ivey's is, is an understatement. I, you know, I felt like, uh, you know, for a while there, as far as, uh, you know, NBA drafting analysts go, I, I was kind of driving the train of pushing him in, in, into that first tier. Um, you know, I, he's just one of those guys. I, I think the first time I saw him in person this season uh, was at Iowa uh, and, and just seeing his athleticism and his burst in person, it just it really blows you away. I mean, it made me think about Russell Westbrook. And, and they're not the exact same player, uh, but from an athleticism standpoint, uh, they're, they're very similar. And um, I, I think there were similar you know, question marks with Russell when he was coming. I remember watching him at uh, Adidas Nations before his draft. And all the same stuff were being brought up. You know, is he a true point guard? Is his feel for the game you know, spot on? It doesn't matter. That guy went on to be MVP of the league, right? And in large part because of his motor and his athleticism. So I, I just think Jaden, uh, his upside is so high just just because he's able to get to his spots with with his uh, you know his you know incredible burst. You said you're kind of pushing him to be in that in that first tier. So you basically saw him as equivalent, if not better, I'm assuming than sort of that that tier of of Chet, Paolo, and. Uh, Jabari, then am, am, am I correct in that? For me, all year I, I sort of discussed with with, with our staff uh, behind closed doors that I mean I think he he should be in the mix for for all the picks, you know, with that first group. And uh, you know, one one big point that I always made was you know, the way the game's being played right now is you know an on ball creator is just so valuable. You know, I mean it's a guard driven league, uh, and with a guy that's got you know such extreme upside, uh, the style play and upside together, I, I felt like he should have been in the mix for you know picks as high as one or two and i mean for the pistons to get him at number five i, I just I, I think i said this on on uh, on air but a number of times I, I felt like it was like highway robbery i mean they they should be so excited uh, to get a guy uh with, with his potential you know at that at that pick and speaking of Ivy and the Pistons, a lot have been talked about the fits, quote unquote, fit with Cade Cunningham. There's been questions. Does Ivy need to have the ball in his hands? Is he a point guard? Is he not a point guard? How much creating does he have to do? What, what do you think about that fit? Because I think Omari and I both agree he's very good playing off ball and this is going to work out just fine, especially if his shooting continues to develop. Oh yeah, I think it's great. I mean, he does need the ball in his hands for the most part to, to be, you know, to really tap into his potential. Uh, but I mean, he played off the ball this year at Purdue a lot, and, and I didn't think he fit that system that well. Uh, but they they made the most of it. he was running off screens and, and you know in Painter's system quite a bit. Uh, and, and as far as the fit, I think when, when you're t- discussing fit, it's mostly with you know how does he how does he coexist with Cade Cunningham? And I, I think it takes a lot of pressure off of Cade. And I, I think Cade is a very mature, uh, versatile, cerebral type player. Uh, and so I think having a guy like Jaden, you know, take some pressure off him having to create so much all the time and, and force offense, you know, let him, you know, pick and choose his spots a little bit more. And let's face it, I mean, this is a young developing team. H- having two guys that are capable of creating off the dribble, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I, you know, th- there's no player that's going to be creating off the dribble every single possession down the court, you know. And so uh, having two guys that, that got some stuff in their bag, I think, is, is a good thing. Uh, Jaden, I mean, his first step obviously is absolutely elite. I mean, even day one in the NBA, it's tough to see a lot of defenders be able to keep up with him. Why do you think a lot of analysts were lower on him than the big three? Do you think it's just because he was so different, not being a six ten guy who kind of has the 
the sort of unicorn skill sets we talk about? Or uh, do you think the fit at Purdue maybe hurt him maybe more than, than it should have? I mean, I do think the, the fit at Purdue held him back a little bit. I mean, I think if he was, uh, I mean, even just the, you know, looking at the college game compared to the NBA, just the style of play, his game fits the NBA better than college. I mean, he's played, you know, Purdue specifically, you know, they're playing with two big body, you know, fives, essentially with, with Trayvon Williams and Zach Eady, uh, which clogged the paint. Uh, Painter's, you know, system really wasn't, wasn't built for Jaden. I mean, they, what, what he would do is, um, you know, they ran their typical offense, which Painter's been running for years, where, you know, having the, the you know, their, their leading guard score uh, coming off screens, but then they would break off of his system and, and kind of run some, like, you know, high uh, high pick and roll ISO spots for Jaden and kind of really break off of what his his whole, you know, coaching philosophy was generally. Uh, but just, uh, you know, I, I think that that held him back, probably scouts quite a bit. And then, you know, he, he does have some flaws. I mean, I think his, his feel for the game – um, you know, his decision making, he's behind a little bit. I mean, he takes a lot of takes a lot of risk. I mean, he, he's always looking to make plays on both ends of the ball, uh, which leads him to make some mistakes. So, I mean, he's definitely got a lot of room for for kind of polishing things up. Uh, I, I guess I, you know, with me, I just look at look at his strengths, you know, and, and kind of looked at it from a you know glass half full rather than, than half empty. Um, you know, but I, I would say those have all probably contributed to, to some scouts being a little bit lower on him than, than me. So you brought up his flaws there a little bit. What do you think is going to be his biggest struggle in his rookie season? Because I do think like as Pistons fans, we get excited and, and we're hoping for the best and we're trying to be optimistic, but he is a rookie. He does have some flaws. What do you think is going to be his absolute biggest struggle this next season? Yeah, I mean, he'll, he'll have ups and downs. I mean, he's a very confident guy and he's definitely, he's not, he's not just happy to be here, right? And, and which is what makes me one reason I, I really like him. I mean, he, he is an alpha dog and I, I have no doubt in my mind that he expects himself to become a star. And so I think, um, you know, with that being said, I mean, he, he's probably going to force some offense a little bit. You know, he's already pretty loose with the ball and his decision making. And so, I mean, it, there'll be some ups and downs, but I mean, I, I'll tell you one, one thing with that, that wide open space in the NBA, there's, there's going to be some highlight, highlight plays, you know, night in, night out. Do you think that Cade would be a better fit for Jaden just in the heat he'll take off of him? Or do you think Jaden's a better fit for Cade, you know, just in the sense that he's an athlete in the, you know, in the sense that, that Cade isn't? Which guy do you think would benefit more from the partnership? I, I think probably pretty equal. I think they complement each other well. I, I think there is pressure on both of them to improve as outside shooters. Uh, I think that's one thing that's really going to really make their their new – uh, newfound partnership work is you know can can they each kind of you know split time with the ball in their hands and you know being be more in catch and shoot spots uh, you know I think outside shooting is definitely for, from for both of them uh, where they really could uh, you know create some even even more like lethal damage together you know by being able to you know provide floor spacing for each other. You mentioned the shooting there, Matt. What do you think is better for, or more important, I should say, for Ivy's long-term development? Is it that three-point shot or is it the mid-range game? Because he wasn't real good in that mid-range area either. So what do you think would be better for his long-term development? I mean, I like to see him improve both, right? I mean, I think just improving yeah. as a shooter, I mean, just, you know, naturally just want to become an overall better shot maker. Uh, I mean, if you had to choose one or the other, I'd, I'd say outside shooting. I mean, the, the game right now has become so much more of, you know, uh, you know, get get into the paint or shooting threes, and so I think outside shooting for for Cade and Jaden uh, is definitely their ticket to kind of op- op- really open things up. And uh, I mean, I, with Ivy, you know, I guess Cade too. I mean, neither of them are, are pure shooters, uh, but with Jaden, I mean, doing background work on him, I mean, he's such a, a worker, gym rat type, and he's got high level confidence. And so I think the combination of the two is a recipe. Uh, that, that he's going to improve, and he's already proven that he, he he's able to hit shots. I mean, I, you know, watching him in person, he, do, he doesn't really pass the eye test uh, as a shooter. It's not it's not a pure 
uh, you know, shooting mechanics, but uh, he, he's hit shots at, at, a, at a pretty high clip already. So, I mean, I, I have a lot of hope that he's going to be able uh, to at least shoot from outside good enough. There's been a lot of cops thrown out for Jaden Ivey. People have said Ja just because they kind of look similar and obviously great athletes. Uh, you, you mentioned Westbrook earlier. Uh, I like Donovan Mitchell just being a guy who's an elite athlete, good shooter. I think Donovan probably shot better in college than Jaden did. Uh, maybe not quite the primary passer you want, but when you look at the cops for Jaden Ivey, who do you see as maybe a realistic outline for if he hits those benchmarks that he could become down the road i don't necessarily love the john moran comparison i, I think john moran's such a such an on-ball creator i mean he's, he's so fluid with the ball in his hands he's got he's got it on a string and, and his decision making as a playmaker is really high uh, i see ivy more as even though he's really good on ball he's he's more of one of these you know two ones rather than just like a true point guard uh, and so that's where like the westbrook comes in i think Dwayne wade donovan mitchell th- those are guys that that i you know I, they all needed the ball in their hands to create uh, but they're not necessarily like the floor general run the show. You mentioned highlights earlier, and the second first-round pick, the second lottery pick the Pistons got is Jalen Duran, and he can provide some of those as well. Where? Let's start here, Matt. Where did you have Jalen Duran on your board? What did you think about the young man coming out of Memphis? If I remember correctly, most of the year we had him in the you know the mid lottery, and somewhere between like six and ten. I think when it was all said, no, we had him. I can't remember exact, exactly which pick we had him at, but it was it was it was right in that that range. Um, and uh, you know he, he's a guy. I mean, he, I think he was the youngest, at least the youngest American in, in this year's draft. I mean, it was interesting with him reclassifying and going to Memphis with Amani Bates, who they also reclassify. And they're, they're, if I remember correctly, they're just a month difference as far as their birth dates go. Uh, Jalen was in December, and Amani was in January or something like that. And um, you know. Jalen was able to be in this year's draft, and Monty wasn't, right? So, uh, I mean, really young guy, uh, just ton of ton of talent, and um, I, I think they were very lucky to, to have him slip to that pick. Because I mean, like I said, he was a guy that we we had pegged um, as the top big in the draft, and, and somebody you know, we had as high as, as six or seven at one point. I guess this is a little bit more of a, a broad question. But it seems like there's a disconnect on how you know players with his skill set, uh, vertical spacers, can protect the rim. It seems like. Every playoff, we see that these guys can impact the game a lot, like the Robert Williams yet in the draft they tend to be undervalued. Uh, how much of that do you think played into him falling all the way to 13 when maybe from an upside standpoint, you could argue that he was a top six or seven talent in this draft? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's something that we've been talking about quite a bit. I mean, not, not even with just, you know, big-bodied fives, but also with small point guards. I mean, it, it's really gotten to a point where uh, teams are clearly valuing, you know, switchable players, positionless type, type uh, you know, lineups. Um, and so, I mean, Jalen doesn't necessarily fit that. Uh, but, you know, he, he's not one of these big stiff fives either. I mean, I think he's very athletic. I mean, his physical tools are, are you know, the first thing that jumps out when, when evaluating him. And um, I, I think he'll be just fine. I, I think it was you know, somewhat circumstantial, too, with the team's picking uh, as far as him slipping there. And, yeah, just, just, a, just a great pick all the way around. Do you have questions about his ability to be switchable in the NBA? Because when I watched the film, I, th- I felt like there was a long-term possibility of that. Just maybe be- he's still young, but you see the athleticism. Am I maybe projecting a little bit too much, thinking he can, he can do that three, four, five years down the road? I mean, I think he's got the physical tools to do it. I, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say you know it, it's a it's a you know a crazy strength of his like a Jeremy Sohan or, or somebody like that that's guarding all you know or Jabari Smith you know capable of guarding four or five positions. Uh, but I, I don't think he's you know real vulnerable either. I mean, I think you know you definitely have some versatility with him. Uh, the biggest thing with him is, is his motor. I think it, he's got somewhat of a selective motor. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, we're talking about evaluating an eighteen-year-old kid. It, it's like, okay, does he have some growing up to do? Yeah, he's 18 years old. You know, I mean, I think that's a pretty, pretty reasonable 
you know, issue to have at, at that stage in his career. And so, yeah, long story short, I, I do think he's got a chance of being somewhat switchable. What about his passing? I think that's one thing we saw flashes of in Memphis. And of course, he wasn't quite a hub guy. You know, like they weren't running a lot, a lot of stuff out of the, the, the short road with him. But do you think that's something that could be a staple of his game maybe in a few years? Yeah, sure. I mean, like I said, the first thing that jumps out is his physical tools. I mean, the, you know, the guy just looks like a, a fitness model already at 18 years old. Right? I mean, he's, he's, like, he's one of those guys you probably don't even let him go in the weight room, right? Um, but yeah, skill wise, I mean, it, it definitely underrated. I mean, I, I noticed that even when he was in high school, very good passer. Uh, he's got a nice touch on his shoot. I, I don't know if he'll ever be a guy that, that's shooting threes or not, uh, but he, he's definitely capable of, uh, of developing and, and stretching it at least a little bit as, as far as being a guy that can hit an open shot. I actually got this as a bell bag question over the weekend, and I didn't use it for my bell bag, but be curious to bounce it off of you. Uh, previous five-star Memphis big man, James Wiseman, uh, goes number one. And he's a different prospect than Jalen Duran, but it seems like him not playing may, maybe may have helped him a little bit. Uh, do you see any similarities in their games? It seems like James Wiseman may be a little bit more of a a shooter than Darren is, but you know they're, they're both young, both great, great athletes. Do you see any similarities in their games? Yeah, pretty similar. I mean, I think uh, I mean Wiseman is is bigger, longer. I think a little bit more versatile uh, offensively. Uh, but yeah, I mean, pretty similar. I, I would put them sort of in the same category as far as young bigs go. Uh, you know, Wiseman just you know, I mean, he could really. I mean, we're talking about being switchable. I mean, for being a guy that's seven feet with an you know, incredible wingspan and is skilled, he's able to cover a lot of ground defensively. And so that was the one thing I really liked about Wiseman coming out is he's a guy that I did project that you know, would be able to shoot some threes, um, you know, do you know, typical rim running type stuff. But then, he, you know, defensively, his upside is really high. I mean, the guy really can cover a lot of ground move, moving his feet. So we've talked about Duran possibly being switchable. We've talked about the passing, his youth. You know, you mentioned his motor, which I agree with. I think there's some defensive rebounding, just like technique and awareness things in terms of that. I think Omari and I differ on this in terms of him spending some time in the G League, at least to start the season. Do you think that that's something that would be good for him? Do you think that's a where he should spend some time at least the first half of the season, maybe up until the trade deadline? Um, I don't know. I think that's that's an, definitely an interesting conversation, and it's probably something that that Troy and the coaching staff are probably having to weigh out. And I, I probably just need to keep a pulse on how things are, are sort of progressing with him. Uh, I mean, I think ideally you, you'd want to not have to send him to the G League. Uh, you know, let let him sort of like you know grow with with their other young guys. I mean, I, I don't think there's a ton of pressure on them. You know, kind of conquering the world overnight, right? I mean, they, they're really really kind of setting things in place uh, to build this team long term, and so. Um, yeah, I mean, right off the cuff, I'd say I prefer him not going G League. But if you need to, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a good option to have. My issue with the G League is I feel like guys who are that type of athlete, especially as a big man, generally if you can protect a rim, you're an NBA player, so there's not much upside to um, going to the G League. Or you see a guy like Saban. I think it helps, too, that their team's close. And so, I mean, it's not yeah. one of these deals where it's going to be hard moving them back and forth. And so that that's, you know, and, I, and I've talked to a number of NBA personnel about this, of the, the different strategies of, like, having your team, your G League team close having, you know, separated, uh, this would certainly be an advantage of having the team, you know, in, you know, in, in the same city. We talked there about during growing with the rest of this young core. When we get back from this short break, we're going to talk to Matt about some of those players, Cade Cunningham, Isaiah Livers, Sadiq Bey, what he thought about them coming into their draft classes, and then what he's seen from them in their short NBA careers. All right, hey, Carlos, just a quick idea. How about if I say, hey, this is Sean Windsor, and you say, hey, this is Carlos Maros, and I'll go, and then we'll go back. You want, you want to try that? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, you ready? Yep. 
Hey, this is Sean Windsor. And this is Carlos Menares. And we are the team behind Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean, where we are going to talk about, you guessed it, sports, but lots of other stuff. Like what, Carlos? Oh, we're going to talk about your favorite subject, Sean, food. Um, probably more food. Arts, culture, sports, TV, movies, you name it. If it's happened in Detroit, we're going to talk about it. And sometimes we're going to have guests in who obviously know a lot more than we do about just about everything. But we're going to have some free press journalists who talk about big stories, folks from the sports world. We're going to be out every Thursday. You can find this podcast wherever you find your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We hope you'll join us. We're going to talk to Matt about... Uh, some of the other young guys on the on the Pistons roster. Uh, if you guys read me at the free press, and I certainly hope you do. Uh, but I've had Matt on in the past, uh, I think before the 2020 and 2021 draft, to talk about uh, the Pistons options on, on number seven two years ago. And then if Evan Mobley or Jalen Green had a real shot at going number one last year. Uh, so I know you were a big fan of Kate, Matt, uh, like pretty much everybody else was. For him, just kind of what, what stood out during the pre-draft process and how has he measured up so far? Yeah, I mean, not even just the pre-draft process. I mean, I've followed Cade for for years when he was in high school. I remember you know spending three days when he was uh you know one of those USA basketball teams. I think it was the U seventeen team, and um, he's got size, versatility, just a very mature kid. Uh, I, I thought he was a very safe pick in that draft, and he, he's essentially become exactly what what I thought he would become, and, and what most people thought. Um, yeah, just I mean, he's going to be probably an all star level player at some point. Uh, you know, just just a good good pick. So you mentioned his maturity there. Has he been? He played on some really talented teams. Did you see kind of the alpha, the leadership as he played on those AAU teams, his high school team, and then even that one year at Oklahoma State? Yeah, I mean, he's definitely not, you know, one of these big personalities, not like an Anthony Edwards type, you know, alpha dog, but he's not soft by any means. He's a little bit more of a silent assassin in a sense. Um, but, you know, I, I do think he, he does bring – he's got great floor presence. And uh, even though I don't see him as just, you know, a, a traditional point guard, he's definitely somebody that can really kind of control the tempo and, and do a lot of point guard floor general type stuff, even though that's not necessarily his calling card. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I think he I, – long term, I, I do see him uh, being the leader of that team. Last season, you know, Cade, of course, finished third overall in the rookie of the year voting and it kind of came down between him and Scotty. This isn't really a Cade Pistons question, but I, but I guess I was, I was, I was just curious with Scotty, you know, for him to have the season he, he had, how much of that do you attribute to just him just being in the perfect position and how much did he maybe exceed the expectations that you thought he would have going then? Cause I know just talking to people around the league and even some people on the Pistons as well, there were people who did think he belonged to be in that top three or four conversation and, you know, of course, Toronto ended up taking him a little bit higher than some guests. Yeah, I think, you know, his year at Florida State was uh, was interesting. I mean, they, they used him as a point guard, which, you know, he's, he's definitely capable of doing stuff on ball and creating and all that. I But it was weird is they, they played him on the ball on offense, but they also had him guard point guards on defense too. And I just, it made, it made it really hard to evaluate him, uh, which I think threw people off, myself included. I mean, I, I've, I've loved Scotty since he was in high school and just, you know, I mean, there was no doubt that he was going to succeed on, on some level or another. I think the one big surprise is like how effective he was offensively scoring the ball this year, and I think a lot of it was they they just they used him in a better spot, more as like a versatile three four point forward type rather than having all the pressure of the ball being in his hands all all the time. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean you know I'm really happy. I mean Scotty's one of those kids like you just can't help but root for him. I mean being around him, he's just such a such a star star person, and you know now it's uh his game's matching his personality, which is which is nice to see. I only bring it up because I know some people were salty that it's like well he's in a better situation in case the person numbers are better, but.
I think with Cade too. I mean, he he had the slow start. You know, I mean, I, I think that that really yeah. uh, kind of threw him off. He wasn't hitting shots early, and uh, I mean, really put together all in all a great season considering that he started so slow. Yeah, I mean, he missed his first 18 threes, I think, to start his career. And and you you mentioned the shooting earlier. Is that the biggest long-term development for Cade Cunningham? There, there's all this talk in Pistons community about the ceiling and can he be an MVP level guy? Is he a, just an all-NBA guy? Whatever that ceiling is, is the three-point shooting, is that the biggest development that he has to have? Or is there some other little thing in his game you see? Yeah, I mean, I think outside shooting for for sure would be the number one priority for me. I, I think uh, he still needs to get stronger. I mean, he's got a very narrow build. Uh, and then the one thing that, that I think, you know, and this was if I had a hold up with him, you know, evaluating him is that he does not have elite athleticism. He's not a bad athlete. But, I mean, we're talking about a guy that you want. I mean, you just mentioned, you know, can he be an all star MVP type guy? Um, I mean, you look at most of these guys that get to that level. I mean, athletically, they're usually, you know, on, on an entirely different level than, than most other players. And I, I don't think Cade's there. And so I do think outside shooting is important for him to open things up for himself. Uh, so, yeah, that, that, that would be first and foremost for me is outside shooting with, with Cade. Cool. Let's shift to Isaiah Livers. He's a guy that some people had a first-round grade on before he injured his foot in a Big Ten tournament. Uh, only played 19 games last season, but he shot around 42% from three. Uh, never really looked sped up, but then he was pretty good at Summer League as well. Uh, like, what, what type of grade did you have on Isaiah Livers going into last year's draft? And how much do you think that foot injury maybe allowed him to be available to the Pistons at 42. Yeah, we, we had uh, we had Livers as a second-round pick, uh, I think, just about the whole season. And, uh, I mean, there's it's very clear-cut evaluation with him from my standpoint is what, what he does well is, you know, comes at a premium. He's, he's, a, he's a shooter and a shot maker. Um, his physical limitations were what held me back on him. I mean, he's got sort of a bad body. You know, what position is he? Is he a three? Is he a four? I mean, you know, which – which I, I think, you know, depending on who you're talking to, is not that big of an issue since it is much more of a positionless game than it used to be. Uh, but he, he's a guy that I see, as long as he can kind of keep his body uh, in shape, um, he, he's a guy that can stretch the floor and <clears throat> hit shots, especially when you got all these young, talented guys coming in that, that can create off the dribble. Uh, I mean, I, I think he's sort of a glue guy type type guy. Yeah, he's really become a fan favorite here recently as Piston fans are trying to piece together this roster and lineups and Livers is kind of, like you said, that glue guy that he connects things together because he can shoot it, do some things defensively. Let's look at the draft class before, and it was very interesting, Matt. When you were talking about Jay Ivey, you m- mentioned confident and confidence a lot when talking about him. Killian Hayes is one who seems like that is an attribute that will wane at times was that something you noticed whenever you were scouting him before that draft yeah I mean, he definitely played a lot with a lot more confidence when he was in Europe you know compared to the, how he's been in the NBA so far and, uh, I mean I think that's his biggest biggest hurdle right now is is getting his confidence up I mean he hasn't been hitting shots at a high rate uh, like you'd hope he would and I mean similar to what we were talking about with Kate I think killing him he's got he's got to get to a certain point where he's hitting shots more because he's his foot speed isn't great either uh, and that you know he's he's naturally becoming you know pretty big guard, um, and so I, I think he's got he's got to be able to hit shots to kind of open up his playmaking more. You look at a guy uh, and Sadiq Bay uh, who he had a little bit of up and down season last year. They put him into a bigger role and he kind of struggled at first, but as the season went on, he became a little bit more comfortable as more of a shot creator type. Going into the twenty twenty draft, uh, did you expect him to be available sort of in the late first round when the Pistons got him? I was really high on Sadiq Bay uh, pretty much that that whole season uh, leading up to the draft. Uh, I'm good friends with Fran Fischel and Fran's son is on staff at Villanova, and he sort of suggested me to take a deep dive on him before he really got hyped up. And I mean, Fran was was spot on with it. I mean, just uh, just a you know overachiever type. Um, 
I mean, good team guy, good team defender. I mean, he does have some limitations athletically, but I mean, um, he's really, you know, Proven to be a great, you know, shooter, shot maker, kind of similar to what I was saying with Isaiah Livers, but his game seems to be expanding too offensively. Um, and, and so, I mean, I think he's going to be a good, good starting, you know, wing for for years. So that's kind of the big question about Sadiq Bay right now is the ceiling. You know, I put out a Twitter poll the other day. How many all-star games do you think Sadiq Bay is going to make? And there was quite a few zeros that the, the majority of people landed between one and two. Do you think there's more he can add to his game? And, and what is that? Is it kind of the wiggle, the self-creation? Is there something defensively? You know, what, what is it that he can really reach like an ultimate ceiling? And, and what is that? Yeah, I mean, I think it'd be easy to say that he's got he's got limited upside because of the lack of athleticism. And not that he's a bad athlete, but I mean, I, I don't see him being a guy that's like, oh, hey, this guy's upside is through the roof. I think he's more of a reliable type type of player. Uh, but the same could be said about a young Chris Middleton too. I mean, Chris has got size and he's a shot maker. He, Chris really doesn't have a lot to his game, uh, but he just you know continue to improve on on what he does well, and that's hitting shots. And so uh, that, that's that's who I would look at if, if I were advising Sadiq, being like, hey, look look at Chris Middleton. He really hasn't done too much as far as adding to his bag, uh, but he just does what he does at a very very high level. Just talking to people, Chris Middleton is the comparison I hear for Sadiq to boast, just as a guy that. It's not like the best athlete, but just really knows how to get a bucket. I'm going to move to the second Isaiah on the roster, Isaiah Stewart. And we've talked a lot about pre-draft and post-draft evaluation. And uh, he's in a very different position than he was maybe when he was drafted, where a lot of people saw him as sort of an undersized throwback big. And uh, In the last season, he was switching on to James Harden and Luka. Uh, he's proven to be maybe a better perimeter defender than post defender, and he's still pretty good in the post. Not as many post-ups because the NBA, uh, they experimented with his three-point shot. Uh, in summer league and in the last season, and that looks like it might be coming along faster than some might have expected. I don't know how much of Isaiah so you, you've been able to watch since he's gotten into the league, but going into the draft, did you see him as a guy that be able to switch and maybe hit outside shots, or were you more of the camp that this is an undersized throwback big? Yeah, I mean, with Isaiah, I mean, going into his draft, I mean, I, I was probably higher on him than anybody. And a big part of it is I, I, I scouted him a lot. I mean, scouted him since he was, in, I think, a sophomore in high school. And uh, I saw the shooting potential e- even back then when he was, I think, a sophomore or junior in high school. It was always had, like, a great release rotation. Um, and, and I always saw the potential there. Um, the, the biggest thing with him is I think a lot of people – were sour on him because they saw a guy that was undersized five, foot speed wasn't great. How does he fit into this league? Uh, and, and just me doing my homework on him and getting to know him personally, I, I knew this kid was wired to succeed. I mean, he's he's a total culture setter. I, I remember watching Troy Reaver's press conference when he first got hired, and he really wanted to bring back instead of culture, kind of similar to the old bad boys, you know, toughness and hard work and physicality. And that's that's Isaiah Stewart in a nutshell right there. And so, um, you know, aside from the sky and stuff, the background on him is really what gave me the confidence that this this guy is going to, you know, find find a way and kind of will his way into uh, being a solid NBA player. And it seems like that's what's what's happened. So you, you mentioned it there with Isaiah Stewart, and we hear Troy Weaver talk all the time about drafting the person, not the player, and the character and all those type of things. Would you Looking at all of these draft picks, do you think he's kind of stuck with that? Is there one guy that maybe you would pinpoint? I know we don't want to overly critique these kids, but you know that maybe he waned from just a little bit, or in general, has he stuck to that kind of motto? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think Troy's done a terrific job. I mean, they've got, they've got a, you know, a, a different group of, of guys. I mean, it's not all these players you know, are, are wired the exact same. I mean, I, I don't think there's anybody in the world wired like Isaiah Stewart. That guy, <laughs> that guy is just an animal and a beast. I mean, that, that's exactly who I'd want to kind of 
set the tone for, for, for your locker room and your team as, for being a young team. He really does a lot of things that you'd want, you know, veteran you know, presence to do. Uh, I mean, I think Killian Hayes is the one that, that you know, hasn't, hasn't clicked like they had hoped. Uh, the good thing is there's time. I mean, he's a, he's a young guy. I, I, I don't think you need to, you know, turn your back on him just yet. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I think he's done a good job of, of, you know, identifying guys with talent that also uh, ha- have the personality traits to, to succeed. Yeah, Isaiah Stewart was the 16th pick. Did you think that was high, or is that around where you had him? Yeah, we had. I mean, I had him uh, late lottery most of the year. I think. Uh, I think we had him going to Sacramento for a while. I think they were pegged at like twelve or something for mo- most of uh, the pre-draft. Uh, but yeah, no, that was that was right about where where I expected him to go. How much do you think him playing for Washington maybe hit his ability to move and some of those other things? Like he's at his zone and just getting back to that topic of guys that's rolled in college and then it gets to the NBA and it ends up being a, a, a lot different. If he if he played for maybe a more a, a team had a more traditional defense like man man do you think that maybe the grade would have been a bit higher oh sure i mean i, I think you know from an evaluation standpoint I, I hate i hate going to games when when either of the teams are playing zone i mean it makes it so hard hard to evaluate them and i think with isaiah i mean it really kind of he lost the opportunity of showing how competitive and physical he was on the defensive end because he, he was kind of just stuck in that zone I, I do think that that played a factor and their, and their team wasn't very good either their guard play was absolutely horrible that year um yeah, so I, I do think that that held him back. It's funny you say that. I was watching some U18 film today on Cam Whitmore, and a lot of the other countries were playing 2-3 zone. It's like you, can't, like, you can't figure anything out. And obviously these guys are winning by 20, so they just start chucking threes. You know, that was the thing with Jalen Dern as well, right, Matt? Like, I think we've talked about it a little bit on the pod, but can you let the listeners know just kind of the situation Dern was really in at Memphis and why maybe he wasn't able to really showcase all the things he could do, specifically like the pick-and-roll stuff? No, sure. Yeah, I mean Memphis had had a very weird year. I, I went down there several times, and I mean their their guard play wasn't very good. I mean they're they're. I mean I think that's part of the reason Imani Bates really struggles. They they played him at point guard. I think I think I think it was his request to play point guard, which I think was a mistake. Uh, but it really, I mean, it, it felt like a dysfunctional system for most of the season. I know they had major ups and downs, but uh, it seemed like Jalen kind of got lost in a little bit. And, and it was one of these deals where when he when he was good, he was terrific. Uh, but when he was bad, he was real bad. And so, um, I, you know, somewhat of a product of, of the environment, I think. Staying on Imani Bates real quick, because there was, right, Omari? Like Michigan State was in on that whenever he was transferring, but he ends up at Eastern Michigan. What, what's going on with Imani Bates, Matt? And like, what do you think the we'll see from him this season at Eastern Michigan? Is he going to be a guy that ends up coming out in 2023 and be a lottery kid? You know, it's it's really hard to say. I mean, he's had such a weird few years. I mean, being so hyped up as a you know fifteen year old or whatever, and um, just feels like there's there's a, there's been a lot of pressure on him. And it's you know, I, I think them going and requesting to play point guard at Memphis have really really hurt him. I, I'd actually like to see him be more of a shooter, score in secondary ball handler, playmaker, uh, rather than just creating a lot off the dribble. Uh, I'm assuming they're, they're they made the same request going to Eastern Michigan that he's going to do a lot on ball. Um, I, I'm I'm still kind of open minded with him. I mean, as as it stands right now, uh, I, I don't think he's in a great spot, uh, but he does have talent. So I mean, he he has a great year. I think guys like myself will give him a chance to move 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 up quickly because uh, you know the raw talent is there. And um, another part with him too, he he needs to get stronger. I mean, he really needs to uh, you know, invest in his body. You know, it's just. Um, yeah, unless he gets stronger, I mean, he's going to get pushed off his spots pretty good. Um, I remember, I think it was last fall, Memphis had uh, their pro day, 
and uh, Imari Bates, you know, his measurables were, were not great. Negative wingspan. I think they said he had small hands. And uh, even before the season really got going, it seems like that kind of took a lot of the win out of the sales as far as him being the next Kevin Durant or whatever player he was compared to, Tracy McGrady, maybe. For you, like, how much does that matter? Uh, you know, it seems like minus wingspans could kind of help when you're a, a, a shooter, but maybe if you're hoping he would be that dominant defender as well, that kind of knocks him a lot more than... No, sure. I mean, you know, we definitely look at the the physical tools. I mean, it's definitely part of the evaluation. I think with Amani specifically, uh, I'm not I'm not overly concerned with his, his uh, you know short arms, small hands, as long as he's filling it up, right? And so, uh, I mean, if we're looking at him as a six eight shooter score, does it does it really matter if he's got long arms or not? Like, I don't really, <laughs> really care. And defensively. I'm more concerned with his lack of strength than I am his wingspan. I mean, obviously, if he had longer arms, that that would be something that would be advantageous for for him. But uh, I mean, I'm not. I'm certainly not riding him off because of it. He's at Eastern now. We've seen guys come out of the mid-major level and have great careers. Uh, you know, of course, John played for Murray State. He was the second overall pick for Imani. Do you think it's probably a good choice for him to maybe go somewhere a little bit smaller where he can, you know, maybe have more of an environment that's tainted around him? Or would you have liked to see him try to go to maybe a power five school if the opportunity was there? I would have preferred him, you know, to go to a bigger school, but I, I mean, I, I, I do think it, it could work at Eastern Michigan. I, I think, uh, you know, there, there's two ways of looking at it. One, he goes there, kind of gets his swagger back and gets gets back to being the, the Imani base that, that he saw in himself before having you know the rough year this year. And so I like it from that standpoint, go be the man, go home. You're going to have, have the local support. You can be the hometown hero. Um, but on, on the flip side, you look at it negatively, there's going to be a lot of pressure on him. I mean, I, I look at what happened with Patrick Baldwin this year at uh, UW-Milwaukee, and uh, it just didn't didn't work out well for him at all. And so I'm definitely hoping it works out for Imani. I mean, I, I certainly would like to see all these players, you know, really maximize their potential. And, and Imani has a ton of potential. I mean, a 6'8 shooter score. I mean, I, I've seen him in high school hit, hit some shots that's just mind-blowing. So if you can get back to being, you know, the confident scorer and shooter that he is, uh, it, it certainly could work. As we're talking about 2023 draft prospect Imani Bates, I, I got to ask, Matt, I bugged you the other day. I sent you a message about Victor and Scoot. You know, for our listeners, just how good is Victor Wimbenyama? Like, is he, do you see the generational talent that's kind of been pitched to us on social media and otherwise? Yeah, I mean, he, he's an incredible talent. I mean, he's so big and long and skilled. Uh, I mean, he, he definitely needs to get stronger. I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of people nitpicking uh, his physical, his, his lack of physicality. I mean, similar to what, what happened this year with Chet Holmgren. And I, I think it just sort of depends on, how, you know, how big of a problem do you see that? Uh, but regardless, I mean, he's, you know, similar to Chet. I mean, what he does well will translate. I mean, just being a rim protector, you know, seven, I mean, how big is he? Seven, three or whatever, you know, creating off the dribble and shooting step back threes. I mean, it's just definitely a unicorn type. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm really high on Scoot Henderson, too. And, and I mean, one thing I, I talked to my guy, Derek Murray, about this, and, and I, 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 I raise a lot of questions like this this time of year of just sort of challenging ourselves as scouts. Uh, you know, Scoot Henderson, Victor Wimbaia, is like, is there a world where Scoot's taken ahead of him? Uh, I mean, I think if I were to do rankings today, I'd probably have Victor number one. Uh, but I am, I am asking myself, as I continue to evaluate these guys, it, it, how close is it? You know, and uh, I'm, I'm open-minded at this stage. Matt, I, I text you this. Like, I really like Scoot, man. He's really good. Like, he, to me, has turned over the keys to your offense. Let him go. He operates in pick and roll. I think he's going to be a three-level scorer. I know the three-point shooting has to come, but I'm really excited. And I just feel like people are going to hamstring him because he's only 6'2". Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I, you know, and he's one of these kids, too, that, you know, I've, I've gotten to know him personally the last couple of years. 
And uh, th- this guy is wired to, to succeed. I mean, he's he's a guy that's doing two, three a days. I mean, he's been doing this for two years. And uh, his family owns a gym right by their house in Atlanta. And he is the ultimate worker, alpha dog. Like this, you are going to get every single ounce of potential out of this kid. And, uh, you know, going back to what I was saying about Jay and Ivy too, is like his, his style of play, if he does tap into that potential, I, I think, you know, this is the way the game's built. I mean, an on-ball creator that's like a dynamic athlete. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by Scoot, you know, as a potential number one guy. Uh, like I said, I, I, I Victor penciled in as the number one guy, but I'm, I'm definitely open to the idea that Scoot could earn earn his way of sort of chipping, chipping away at that. I like Scoot because the name is Scoot Anderson. I'm a big, <laughs> like, I'm just a very big believer. And, like, I feel like, I feel like your name – Yeah, like, I think your name is, like, 30% of your success level. And Scoot Henderson is not going to, you know, sell, sell, sell cars. You know, Scoot Henderson is going to be a good basketball player. But. I mean, Victor Wimbenyama is not exactly a household name. I mean, he is a household name, but it's not a common name either. All foreign players are going to have cool names because <laughs> – Everybody in America is named John and Matt, so you know he has a built-in advantage right, right there. No offense yeah, to you, Matt. There's a guy named Adamupo yeah. that, that's uh, pretty marketable right now. So. <laughs> exactly, but especially for Scoot to be 17 years old and what he did, it's just like, yeah. I mean, to me, he, he, it feels like Derrick Rose all over. I mean, like prime Derrick Rose, a guy that's just so athletic and tough that I mean, just you can't, con- you know, can't contain him. I mean, if he's if he's getting in an inch, I mean, he's. He's dunking on you or doing something, right? That's the comp that I continue to see that I think people really, really like. But you mentioned Chet Holmgren just a little bit ago. After this short break, we're going to put Matt and Omari on the spot. I'm going to ask them some questions about the 2022 rookie class and what we may see from them this upcoming season. I'm Alyssa Robinson for the Detroit Free Press. When you wake up every morning, what's the first thing you do? Check your email? Me too. And when you sign up for our daily briefing newsletter, you'll get all the latest news sent directly to your inbox so you can wake up and be ready for the day. We also have newsletters about COVID-19 in Michigan, the latest entertainment headlines, as well as Woodward 248, a newsletter specifically for people living and working in Southeast Oakland County. And don't forget about automotive headlines and all the latest news from our Michigan sports teams. We have a newsletter for every personality and preference. Just head to freep.com forward slash newsletters to sign up for any one of these great options and more. All right, guys, we are back, and I'm going to put Omari and Matt on the spot with some over-unders here to start. And we're going to start with Omari's boy, Keegan Murray, of course. (laughs) In his rookie season, will Keegan Murray average over or under 15 points per game, Matt? Um, I think that will be close. I'm going to go under, though. Omari, I know where you're going to go. Yeah, I was going to say over, just just barely. Like, the thing that makes me nervous is that, okay, like you have some bonus and you have – Darren Fox are going to take the vast majority of the shots. And then you still have Harrison Barnes as well. So there's a lot of, you know, like I'm just curious to see how how, how Will Keegan meshes and where he's able to find his shots because I also can't imagine he would start when you also have Harrison Barnes and Sabonis already on the roster unless you're cool with Sabonis playing the five. I mean, that's a good over-under. Like I would go slightly over, but just because I think he'll be pretty efficient maybe being the fourth Madonna on that team. But that's a good over-under. I'm going to go like he'll average 15.2 points or something like that. <laughs> And just so the listeners know, Wes did come up with all these, so I'm not going to take credit for him. Wes, as you guys know, is the man behind the scenes that makes the podcast go. So I will not take credit for these over-unders. Matt, what was your thoughts on Keegan Murray? Like, do you see the ceiling, the lower ceiling that some people do? Where did you have him? Because we've talked a lot about Keegan on this podcast leading up to the draft. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I had him as the fifth guy. Uh, I mean, for for a while. I, I mean, I, I think it's uh, it's crazy that any team you know took him over Jaden Ivey. Uh, but with that said, I still I'm a huge fan of Keegan Murray's. I mean, I think the the way you know his style of play fits fits the game so well. I mean, you really could plug him into any team of it being a stretch four uh, that can be effective without having the ball in his hands. Uh, just a very reliable player and well rounded. I just um, you know, and, and I think you know he shot the ball really well at summer league. Um, and so I, I think uh, a lot, lot of promise. All right, Matt, we'll start with you again here. Chet Holmgren over under 1.8 blocks per game in his rookie season. Uh, I'm gonna say over. Uh, I think uh, just the way that team's built. I mean, they're 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 gonna let their young guys go, and so I, mean, I think he's gonna play major minutes. And uh, I mean, he's just such a natural, you know, rim protector, shot blocker. So I, I do think he'll be able to to get at least 1.8 blocks per game. I'm over two. I think just. He was like the best shot blocker in college basketball last season or, you know, top two or three. Uh, not a list in front of me, obviously, but, uh, yeah, just the minutes he should play. And I think day one, he should be in that Miles Turner, Jaron Jackson, Robert Williams tier of shot blockers. So, uh, yeah, I think I think he probably averaged two blocks a game as a rookie for sure. All right. A very Piston-specific fun one here. Jaden Ivey over under one and a half dunks on opening night. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna say over. Uh, I mean, if he's if he's playing at least 30 minutes, I, I have a hard time believing that he's only gonna, you know, I, I think he'll get at least a couple dunks. I'm over as well. Uh, I think the Pistons will run some stuff to get up some lanes to the rim, and he's probably bound to have at least one fast break where it's just him in the rim wide open. So yeah, I would go. I would go two for sure. I know we talked about it already, and it wasn't a dunk from him, but I love the play that Jordan Brink ran to start Summer League where he, he brought Ivy off that pin down and then the lob to Jalen Duran. That, w- that was really cool. So I, I imagine we see something similar on opening night. I really like this one. So Matt, Paolo Bancaro was the number one guy on my board coming into the draft. So Paolo Bancaro, over under four assists per game. Uh, I mean, I definitely think it's possible. I mean, he's got the skill set to do it. Uh, you know, they, they've got a lot of young guys. I'm going to go... I'm going to go under on that one, um, even, even though I, I do think it's possible. I think I'm under as well, just because you already have Suggs, you have Markel Fultz, you have a lot of guys who are going to need the ball on that team. and Like, I can see it being close. I can see him being around 3.5, but four, yeah, I just, like, I just think the way that roster's kind of structured, multiple guys who will be creating for others, I can see them using them a little bit more off ball, at least to, to, to start. No, by the end of the season, maybe he's so good that they're like, okay, just give the ball to Paulo, let him figure everything else out. But I see him probably averaging around three. Matt, do you see Paulo long term as like the hub of an offense, a guy that you just run everything through? Does he have that type of upside? Because that's what I liked about him. No, definitely. I mean, we had early in the year we had him at number one, and that was the reason we put him at number one is that he was the probably the surest thing to, to be a guy that could be a primary scorer in offensive engine. And so, um, yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. I think that's going to be his role long term. It's going to be interesting to see long term is if he's if he's used as more as a as a true big, you know, as like a versatile five. Because I mean, he's a he's a big dude, and the way the game's going, being so switchable. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he you know, ultimately ended up being like one of these, you know, kind of uh, point centers, if you will, where he's kind of creating a lot of offense, but he's, uh, you know, he's guarding the, the big guy. Yeah, we kind of talked about it on the pod a little bit. I think even the last probably happy for the job for second to last. Uh, although you had Paulo number one on your board, Bryce, I think I had him number two, and I think I had Jabari third. But, you know, big playmakers are kind of running the league right now and have for a while. And I was surprised a lot of people thought Jabari was like, clearly an overall better prospect because at the end of the day, like outside of shooting and that's not, you know, to say shooting doesn't matter, but if his shot's not falling, what is he going to give you on offense? Right. And he's going to have off nights. And I just feel like no matter what, Paulo's always going to be able to impact the game. So if you're a rebuilding team, you probably want 
I use the quarterback versus an elite wide receiver com- comparison, right? Like, unless you just don't think the quarterbacks are good, you're probably taking a QB. Like, I think Pilots would come in and immediately be able to put numbers up. Speaking of Jabari, let's stay with that one. I'm going to move the line on this one from what Wes had. Jabari Smith over under five three-point attempts per game. Oh, um, it's a tough one. I think uh, it'll be close. I'm, I'll probably say under. I'm going to go over. I figure Jabari's probably the second best offensive prospect on that team after Jalen Green. And if Jalen Green's taking about 17 shots a game, I think Jabari probably falls around 13 or 14. I think half of his shots would probably be from three at least. I think just his easiest role in UBA is just being like that spot-up guy. So I wouldn't be shocked to be taking like seven or eight a game as a rookie, honestly. So staying with the Rockets, a guy they didn't draft in the lottery, Ty Ty Washington. Matt, what do you think in terms of his chances to start? Over under 12 games started at point guard for Ty Ty Washington this season. Yeah, I'll say over. Uh, I think one thing that, that could really change things a lot is, you know, is, is Houston going to commit to Kevin Porter long term? I, I sort of suspect that they'll move on from him, which would open up a lot of, a lot of minutes and potential you know, starting uh, spots for, for Ty Ty. Uh, and also, Houston, keep in mind, Houston, they play multiple guards a lot. And so uh, I, I could see them, uh, whether he's starting or not, I, I do think Ty Ty ultimately will be a big part of that team. Yeah, I think I'm over 12 games started as well. I'm, I'm pretty high on, on, on Ty Ty. I've said it on the pod a lot. Like, I think like, he's a guy you look back and he probably ends up going a lot higher. Uh, like, I feel like the league struggles with guards who are not great dunker when it comes to, like, pre-draft evaluations. But just looking at the history of Kentucky guards, high-performing expectations in the NBA – and the only real knock on Ty Ty outside of him not, you know, being a Westbrook level athlete was like the outside shot, but he just has great touch. I can't imagine why he wouldn't be a 35, 36% shooter eventually. Uh, yeah, I think by the end of the year, I think, I think Ty Ty and Jalen Green are their backcourt for sure. Like after all-star break, he's probably the full-time starter. All right, we're going to move a little bit away from over-under. Right now, we're just going to go, who ended up in the better situation? Jabari Smith Jr. with the Rockets or my guy, Benedict Matherin, with the Indiana Pacers? I mean, God, Benedict Matherin was so good at Summer League. I mean, I think he's going to kind of carry that momentum into the season. Um, even though they, they do have a lot of guys on the perimeter, I, I think he's poised to have have a breakout rookie year. So I, I'm going to go with, with Ben, even though I do think it's, it's relatively close. I'm going to go Jabari. Uh, I think just Indiana, they have a lot of guys in there in their backcourt. And, uh, ben Bath did tear up Summer League. But I just think Jabari, you're probably a day one starter. Uh, I think him and Shingun are a pretty interesting frontcourt since Shingun is a solid passer. He plays a little bit more inside. I think they mesh pretty well. Uh, you know, you've got Jalen Green, so you're not the lead option, which I think if Jabari were drafted by a team that needed him to be the lead option immediately, he'd probably struggle a little bit. But now he's the secondary guy, so that helps him a lot. So I'm going to go Jabari. Like, I know he was probably bumped to not go number one, but I think situation he's in now is probably a much better fit for him. More likely to make an all-star game, Keegan Murray or Shaden Sharp? Shaden Sharp, if he taps into his potential, I mean, he's got all-star type type stuff to him. Um, I, I, I'm i not overly confident that either of them will be all-stars, uh, but I, I, I'll go with Shaden Sharp on this one. Like, I'm, I'm, like, I don't know if Shaden Sharp is real. You know? like, I, I, like, I feel like we're, we're comparing. He played 10 minutes at Summer League. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know if I saw him out there, honestly, and I saw like I watched that game by. Uh, I'm like I think I'm going to go Keegan, uh, just because like I've seen Keegan play a lot more. Uh, some of the threes he had at summer league were just like you know like I know he only had one season of good shooting in college, but uh, like he like he was just out there making stuff up. Like some of the deep ones he hit, and like just his three point shot being that legit. To be honest, like I don't know if I would bet on either of them making an all star team, but I think just because I've seen Keegan more and since he could really shoot it. I can see him eventually getting into a role where he has to be relied on as like a, a top offensive option. He's probably going to put more numbers up. Shane and Sharp, long term, probably a higher a higher ceiling, but I just haven't seen him enough, so I don't feel comfortable 
putting a lot of stock in shading right now. Same question, more likely to make an all-star game, Jalen Duran or Johnny Davis? Uh, I'm going to go with Duran on this one. I mean, I think he needs some time. Uh, you know, I, like I mentioned before, I, I, I do think he's – you know, the last couple of years, there's been some immaturity uh, issues with him. But yeah, I think his upside is, is very high. I'm just, I'm, okay, this is a swear. <laughs> yeah. People are going to hate, hate, hate me for this one. Don't I'm do go, it. Don't do it. I'm going Johnny Davis. Uh, one, I think players of Jalen Duran's archetype in the modern NBA. If you're not like an Embiid, Jokic level player, and, you know, I think Duran's realistic ceiling is probably closer to Robert Williams, who's really good, but I wouldn't, you know, I don't know if I would. Better than Robert Williams making an all-star game just because his value is probably going to be more on defense than offense. So unless you're really go bare, uh, probably not going to make an all-star game. Uh, I think Johnny just, you know, the ball's in his hands. He didn't have a good summer league at all, uh, but, you know, I have a little bit higher in Johnny than the average. Like, I know he's going to be a good defender, but just the touch he has inside, ability to get to the rim, uh, shot really well at the, the line. I do think he'll be able to shoot. And if he becomes a three-level scorer, like I think he will be, I just think his upside as an all-star is probably a little bit higher. But that's a really big if. Like, it's kind of like the previous prop. I probably wouldn't bet on either of them making them one, to be honest. I was with you in Vegas, Omari. I know you don't bet on anything. And you need to talk, <laughs> you, you need to, talk to your boy, Wes, because he set you up with that one. And usually he takes care of you whenever we do these. All right, we just a few more, and then we'll let you get out of here, Matt. Who wins a playoff game first, Paolo Bancaro with the Magic or Jaden Ivey with the Pistons? Oh, that's a good one. It. Uh, I mean, obviously, two, two young developing teams. I'm uh, – I'm gonna go with Jaden Ivey. I, I think I think Detroit is not far off. I mean, they they need their young guys all to kind of simultaneously take the next steps. Uh, but I think I think the guys are gonna do that. And I, and I think uh, I mean the combination of Caden and Ivey together, I think, are, is gonna be be a very very nice one two punch. Yeah, I think I'm going with Ivey too. I think the Pistons are a little bit ahead in their rebuild. Uh, you know, just already having a guy in Cade. I just think their pieces fit a little bit better. And Paolo's gonna be good, but it seems like uh, Orlando has like five big men. And, you know, they're going to have to make some trades. I think they've asked roster out over, over time. I just think Ivy's probably a little bit better positioned over the next three years or so. This is, seems on the surface like an easy answer, but I'm curious to see what you go with. Who will have more blocks in their career, Walker Kessler or Paulo Bancaro? I'm going to go with Paulo Bancaro. I, okay. I, I, I have some question marks with, with Kessler. I mean, granted, I, I, I understand. I mean, he, he blocks shots at an incredible rate at Auburn. Um, I, I just don't know if he's going to get nearly as many minutes over the course of his career as Paulo. Uh, and so when it's all said and done, I, I would bet on Paulo having having more career blocks. Yeah, like I think I'm I'm in the same boat. Like I think Paulo's probably going to play like three times the number of games Walker <laughs> Kessler is. I'm, like I was, I was surprised Walker went as high as he did. So yeah, Walker is a better – I mean, obviously he's a much better shot blocker as a player, but I'm just not convinced that he's going to – play enough games to actually surpass Paolo. So I agree with Matt. We're going to find out this rookie season, right? Matt, don't you think with the Jazz, like Kessler's probably going to get a bunch of minutes there with the Jazz and we're going to find out what he can do just playing drop coverage and protecting the rim? No, sure. I mean, I, you know, I think I, I've had question marks with him, even though I, I see what he does well, uh, but just the way that the, the modern game's played, I just, I, I don't know if it translates uh, perfectly. I mean, you know, college, I mean, you can kind of be a little bit more of an old school rim protector, kind of hang around the rim. Uh, the NBA, I mean, he's going to be he's going to be dealing with a lot of space now, and so uh, you know, I, I just don't know how much he's going to play early on and long term. What what kind of role he'll have? Final one here: better three point percentage this season. So in their rookie season, Jabari Smith Jr. or AJ Griffin? Uh, I'm going uh, that's a tough one too. Um, I'm gonna go with Jabari Smith. I, I think uh, I, I think their team. I, I don't know how good their team's gonna be, but they're gonna have a lot of young guys being aggressive, creating. I think he's gonna get some easy looks. 
uh, and, and probably be able to shoot, you know, a, a high clip. I'm going to go with Jabari too. I don't know what to make of AJ Griffin last year. Like his percentage was really high, but I thought his shot was a little bit more funky. I don't know. I just, like, I just feel like Jabari is a much safer guess. Like from day one, he's going to be a great shooter. And maybe AJ Griffin will get better looks because he's not going to be keyed in by the defense as much. But I just think I trust Jabari as a shooter overall more. Yeah, it, it, one more thing I like that. I, I, I'm not sure what role AJ Griffin will play either. And so sure, I, yeah. I, think, yeah. I think playing li- limited minutes, hit, hitting shots. Uh, playing limited minutes is is a hard thing to do, and Jabari um, is going to be playing probably thirty minutes a game and, and be in a much more comfortable situation. And so I, that, that's a big part of it as well. But I mean, both both those kids are, are great shooters. Yeah, I mean, Griffin shot lights out, right? Especially in conference play. What what do you make real quick here, Matt, of his feet? You know, he had such that wide base, and obviously he made shots. So at the end of the day, like, do you really care? I always wondered about how well he could shoot off movement because of that base off the bounce coming off his staggered screen, whatever. Do you have any? Do you think they'll mess with that? You think they'll try to bring that in in the NBA? Uh, I mean, I, I don't have any problems with his shooting at all. I mean, I think the the bigger concerns are okay. Is is he somewhat of a one trick pony and uh, also, too, there there were some uh, some physical concerns as well. I, from my understanding, is he got uh, I don't know if he got totally red flag, but he uh, there were some issues with his, his medicals, uh, which made him slip a touch. But yeah, shooting wise, I mean, he'll be just fine. Uh, and he's you know he's a big dude. I think he's going to be more of a long term, probably more of a three and small ball four than than being uh, you know a three two. Uh, but shooting shooting is not a problem with him if he's if he's able to establish himself where he's playing in a you know rotational minutes, he'll he'll definitely be shooting the ball. Yeah, I like him more as like what you would say, like a 3-4 than a 3-2 for sure. If he can scale to play the four a little bit, I really like what he could bring a team in time. Uh, Matt, this was awesome, man. Thank you so much for joining us. We definitely will have to have you back, um, you know, maybe during the season just to talk Pistons whenever we start getting into draft coverage again. Thank you. Please let everybody know where they can find you on social media, the work you do. And I'm a big fan of basketball news. You know that. So make sure you plug that as well. No, sure. Yeah, you can find uh, find our, our stuff on basketballnews.com. I you know, run the draft coverage in, in our entire scouting department. Uh, then you can follow me on, uh, on Twitter at MattBabcock11. Uh, actually, I think my, my username is MattBabcock11 on pretty much all of the social media platforms. So go ahead and uh, follow me on Instagram and all the different outlets. But uh, yeah, we'll be a little slow here for the next month or so. But college practice starts in October and we'll get back at it. Big thanks to Matt for the free press, front of the pod. Um, great basketball vibe. So I uh, really appreciate today's conversation and we'll have you back on. Uh, so big thanks again to our editor, Kerry Jr. II, our executive producer, Anjanette Delgado, and our sports editor, Kirkland Crawford. Also shout out to Wes, who set me up with the Johnny Davis <laughs> on the board question, but it's all right. It's all right. I know we'll get back on equal footing next week. 